0: We are cracking through this book at a bit of a pace. Just going to leave that there. Um, so uh, there's something before we get into preaching this today and looking at it today. There's something I wanted to highlight for you, which is that we're not always going to read out the entirety of the passage that I'm going to be preaching on, or that we're going to be preaching through uh, as we go through this, uh, because some of them are going to be slabs of chapters at a time. Uh, so, for instance, today we're preaching from one verse ten through to the end of chapter two. Um, and so I encourage you as we go through this preaching series, uh, be reading through the Bible with us, re- through 1 Corinthians with us, approaching the passage beforehand I- as a whole, uh, and, and and therefore having that equipping as we come into it. Now, you might hear that and go, but John, how can I know what the passage is for this week? And I'm so glad you asked. Um, because we uh, I've put together a, a little website. It's not like the Ephesians one. We don't have a big list of books to read or anything like that. This one's just a reading list. Uh, but if you go to com forward slash first dash corinthians you can also just go to the gospel church website and find it in the menus at the top there uh, you'll find a reading plan where you can click on each of the passages even it's divided into the weeks that we're doing it in uh, and you can read the passages on there or just get the titles of the passages and read them in your bible if you really want to um, but yeah please read along with us uh, by next week hopefully definitely the week after that we should also have some bookmarks that will have the the reading passages on them complete with this lovely artwork up here on the front as well so Look forward to that. But uh, for now, I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we're going to get into this, okay? Uh, Jesus, thank you for your cross. Thank you that your cross is the power of God to us who believe. We pray, Lord, that that would be our experience today, that you would build us up as a people of the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ, that we we would enter deeper into relationship with you as a people who love our Saviour, and know that we are loved by our Saviour, and grow to be more like him. And therefore, Lord, we pray that we would be unified in the Gospel, that we would be drawn together as a people, that we would rebuke the, reject the individualism of our society, but that we would be a unified people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians. We're, we are continuing on in this series. Uh, becoming who we are, uh, and 1 Corinthians is a book that calls us to be who we are now in Christ. It, it, it states our identity and calls us into it. You might remember in week one we saw that Paul calls people, uh, Paul's, bleh, Paul calls God's people those who have been made holy, those who have been sanctified, and then he says we are called to be the saints, we're called to be holy. So, the point of this letter is to call us to be who we are in Christ, to live out the new identity that we have been given, to understand our identity in terms of our Saviour. If you have believed in Him, believing that you are a beloved, holy child of God, by definition, now, and therefore to live in accordance with who you are now. And so, the primary conviction of this letter is that the truth about Jesus applies to every situation of your life and so leads us to live out our new identity in him. And having started it out, um, Paul is now going to spend almost the entirety of these 16 chapters addressing these uh, 10 really tricky situations that are facing this church in Corinth. Uh, Situations that are often so messy and broken that even today in our modern culture, they might shock us. And in each section, what we find is that Paul addresses the situation and then he brings a gospel principle into the mix. He speaks a principle from scripture into the situation that the Corinthians are facing and then leads them and leads us to see how the gospel principle applies to the situation and so what we saw last week is that this book teaches us to reason biblically it teaches us to bring god's word bring the truth of the gospel of jesus christ to bear on our situations on our lives on 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 messy times and to see that it really does apply it really does transform it really does step into the mess of our lives and the first situation that Paul tackles is this really big one. Um, it's not like the most crazy sounding one. It's not the bloke caught in incest or, or anything like that. It's, it's, it's divisions in the church. I don't know about you, I, I, I actually I do know about some of you, but I, whether you've been in a church that's been divided uh, or, or where you've experienced divisiveness within the body of Christ. I have. Um, you know, when it, when if you ask me, if you mention divisiveness in the body of Christ, the thought that immediately comes to my mind is one word, fans. Now, I, I, it's probably not the word that comes to your mind when you think about it. But for me, I, you know, you say, oh, division in the body of Christ, and I shut my eyes and the trauma starts setting in and I start going back in time. And, and I'm in this membership meeting uh, at a church that we were at one time, um, <coughs> this church that had about 100 members. Um, and, and it was a two, three hour long member meeting. Um, over, over the issue of which, which fans we were going to install in the auditorium of the church. Um, I might have had other issues in it as well, but, but that was the one that really stood out as lasting that incredibly long amount of time and, and, like, just just a godlessly divided room was what we experienced there over fans, which, by the way, I think are still actually in their back shed waiting to get installed um, years later. But, uh, but I remember... I remember, this, I'm just telling you this for the fun of it, but I remember we uh, were in this meeting and, and like, you know, half of the room is just grieving that this is what we've come to. You know, just sitting there going, God, help. Uh, and, and and maybe maybe 30% of the room just doesn't know what to do and 20% of the room is there actively fighting over fans. Um, and you know, I remember we got to this point where it would just been going back and forth, back and forth, for ages and ages and ages, and this beautiful, godly woman... Sticks her hand up and she goes, guys, guys, I think we just need to pray. We just need to stop and pray to God. And I was like, oh, thank you, Lord, for her. And, uh, and, and this fellow about two rows in front goes, no, we don't need to do that. I've got to work in the morning. we just got to get this done and get out of here. And that was the death of prayer in the meeting. Um, and that's not how you do unity as a church, by and by. Um, I'm, I'm so grateful for our, our membership here. I'm so grateful for the way that our meetings run, that we, we talk like a family to one another. It's, it's a beautiful thing, like a functional family, in case you're wondering. Paul addresses this issue of unity and of division first because it tackles, uh, as he tackles this situation, he will bring to bear a gospel principle which is uh, essential groundwork both for the remainder of this letter but also for the entirety of the Christian life. And because this situation is so fundamental. This is the the longest slab of this entire letter is given to this issue of division and unity within the church. It runs starting in in chapter 1, verse 10, and it goes all the way to the end of chapter 4, which is why we've broken this one into two parts. I just wanted to highlight that, actually, that this is a two-part sermon. You know, we're doing doing part 1 this week and part 2 this week, but it's one issue that we're addressing. That's really important that we see that it's one issue that we're addressing, uh, because otherwise we tend to do what we do really well, which is we come to the second part and we forget the first part and we read it out of context. It's really important. We, we actually read it wrong, that second part of this passage, if we don't read it in context of the fact that it's about divisions. In fact, divisions over a very specific issue. The Corinthian church was dividing. There's loads of reasons that people divide over. They were dividing over the issue of teachers and leaders. It's a fairly popular one still, actually. They were going, hey, I follow Paul, so I'm better than you guys. Or I follow Peter, or I follow Apollos, so I, Peter is Kephas, by the way. I, so I have no partnership with you who follow Paul. Or, quite high-mindedly, I follow Christ. So I have nothing to do with you people who follow Paul and Peter and Apollos. <laughs> Come on, guys. Uh, and, and the picture we get here is that it's a really quite ugly situation. Paul paints this not just as a difference, kind of over theological issues, a discussion that they're having, Uh, but as them falling back into the old ways before they were saved. Jews seek signs and Greeks seek wisdom, he says. Um, One one commentator, Kent Hughes, um, really helpfully points out something here. He says, when when they, the the Greek believers, um, thought of wisdom, they were primarily concerned with gaining intellectual knowledge that could be leveraged for the purpose of gaining influence and power. This is how—not just the Greek believers. This is how this is how wisdom worked in the Greek world. You um, you would tie yourself to a, to a teacher, and gain influence through attachment to them. You know, through, you know, your Plato's and your Aristotles, if you will, and 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 in following your teacher you had to kind of be opposed to the guys who were following that teacher over there, because they're a different school of thought, right? And if you're in your school of thought following Jimmy, and, and they're in their school of thought following Darren. And, and, and oh, we have a Darren. Um, sorry, no, he's not here. Okay. Um, and this, is, this was quite normal in, in a Greco-Roman city of the day, like Corinth. Um, you know, they would, be, they would tie themselves to a specific philosopher, loyalty, and pride and division would follow. And, and the Christians um, in Corinth, they've carried this mindset into the church, maybe consciously, maybe not. Uh, and Christians are, are grabbing on to this leader and to that leader, to this teacher and that teacher, because he makes the most impressive arguments. He says the most fancy sounding words. Uh, he can, in fact, not just that, because, because if I attach myself to him and to his teaching, I can leverage that connection, right? I can can attach myself to his deep wisdom and and teaching and gain a position of power for myself within this community of people. Can you see the, the deep veins of pride running through this situation? People were proudly attaching themselves to teachers for personal power and reputation for the sake of their own standing in so doing, tearing the church, the body of Christ apart. And Paul responds a little bit bluntly. He says, I'm glad I didn't baptise any of you. And then he he corrects himself. I only baptised a few of you. Um, But basically, he turns to those who are claiming him, who are going, I follow Paul, therefore I'm better than you guys. And he says, you're not with me. I don't baptise you. You've got no claim to me. You don't get to, 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 to make me into a sect. <laughs> no. And then Paul brings out the gospel principle. And, and, and this principle is why this section comes first in the letter. Because the principle Paul will apply here answers the question, what gives the church unity? And that's such a significant question. Because, because the answer that you give to that question orientates the entirety of the life of the people of God. Get, get the answer right and a lot of the other questions that we might bring actually fall into place already, at least in seed form. Get it wrong, and like I think most of us will have seen this at times. Get wrong the answer to the question, what unifies the people of God, and you will systematically tear apart the body of Christ, considering yourself the hero as you do it. What gives the church unity and paul says it's the word of the cross the good news of jesus death on the cross for our sins that is what unifies us that is what we come together over and we do not divide unless we are divided on that in fact he says the word of the cross is folly folly to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now get the weight of what he's saying here. To a people who wanted knowledge that would give them power and build up their pride, who wanted attachment to teachers who could fuel their pride, fuel their ambitions, here's what Paul says. God chose for his wisdom to be expressed in weakness. There is one truth that should give you unity, one truth, and one truth alone, which is the power of God at work in your life, Corinthian and (laughs) Minelatonian and Vincentites and whatnot. One truth, that the saviour of the world came down in weakness and saved us by being humiliated, by dying as a criminal, by being nailed to a cross. This is such a fundamental principle, church. The message of the cross is where our unity is. And I know that might just sound like kind of basics 101, but so often we're tempted to think outside of that. So often we're tempted to go, yeah, but... Yeah, but... Like, I know our unity is in that, but this person disagrees with me about this secondary issue and so golly, I want to divide over it. You know, you can talk about those things till the cows don't come home. It's good to form convictions on those. I'm jumping ahead in my sermon, so I'm going to stop. But... (laughs) The humility, the voluntary weakness of our Saviour should in turn humble us. Do you see? There's no place at all for pride in the people of God. Because the very power of God in us is the news that our Saviour died for us in weakness and shame. There is no place for factionalism. In the church do you see because our savior is so humble that he reconciles us to god dare we put up walls and paul makes this painful reminder you don't have any real reason for pride apart from christ anyway you know the corinthians church uh, may have had a smattering of kind of wealthy enough people in it we're going to see that later on but by the la- by and large The people that God had chosen in Corinth weren't very impressive. The the poets of the age, the scribes of the age, the great debaters of the age, Paul says, where are they? And the the Corinthians look around and go, not here. These guys were wanting Paul and Peter and Apollos to be... Those guys, but they weren't. Um, Paul came with weakness. He came preaching a message of folly that that was that was that was madness to the unbeliever, until they believed. Now I don't know about you, there there is something uncomfortably familiar about the Corinthian church at this point. Um, yeah, we covered back in week one that. Uh, There are areas where the church in Corinth won't really resemble our experience of the church today, but I don't think this is one of them, right? Very often Christians, we latch on to one teacher or to a few teachers or to a a camp and we go, you know, these are my guys and, and I follow them and what they say directs me and if you don't like them, then we have no fellowship. It's okay to find good teachers, by the way. Good thing to do. But it shouldn't put a wall between Christians. If their teaching puts up a wall between you and other people of faith, then their teaching isn't good. Bizarrely, even, even sometimes with teachers, though, who are really humble people, we will go, you know, if you don't like insert name here, if you don't follow his teaching then I, I don't know if we can get along. I don't know if we can act like brothers and sisters in Christ. And like I said, we're going to look more deeply at the issues around dividing over teachers and teaching next week. Um, there's, there's some significant stuff to cover there that we're going to leave for next week. Um, but, but doesn't our familiarity with the Corinthians go even deeper than just that issue? How often does the church become a place where people vie for power? Where we, where we root our identity and who we are in the positions we can get in it. How often do people latch onto a role, to a title within the church? Not out of a godly heart to serve, but out of a driving desire to find meaning in those things. That's, that's pride. That has no position in the church. No place here. If you, if you hear that and you're like, I, I don't know if that's me or not, um, ask yourself this question. If you're currently involved in an area of the church and that got taken away from you, would it crush you? If the answer is yes, consider whether that thing has become the thing you look to as your saviour and your God. If you're not, if, you, if you're not involved in an area, please get involved in church, by the way, but, y- you, but you have a heart to be involved in an, a specific area, and, and and if we sat down tomorrow, and you said, John, I just want to, I want to be, I want to be a music leader at Gospel Church, and 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 I said to you, you know, I don't believe you're suitable for that. <laughs> in fact, I I struggle. I love you. I struggle to believe you would ever be suitable to step into that role. Um, would that be the end of you? Hopefully, I'd have a little bit more tact than that, by the by. But but would that make us? enemies because if that would make us enemies then then you might have an identity issue you might be seeking something in that role that it's not meant to give you that it never will give you and pride has no place in the people of god because god chooses for his wisdom to be expressed in weakness guys the, the truth of the gospel should draw us together in humility and it should crush our pride. Such that when we go to talk to, uh, to one another about sin, for instance, which should absolutely happen, by the way, there's this kind of old version of Christianity where, we, you know, d- 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 not the old, old version, the old, old version was really healthy, but 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 like old as in like, I don't know, maybe 50 years ago, we went, you know what, we come along and we look super duper holy. I'm guessing it 50 years ago, by the way, you might notice I'm younger than that. But um, but we, we come along and we look super duper holy and we've got we to put up that front um, and, and it's not really your position to speak into my sin issue as a person. But that, that, that's not how the, the Bible envisages Christian faith working out. Um, but when we do that, we should do that with such fearless humility. Because our Saviour fearlessly and humbly came and entered into our... Situation He came in and, and, and dealt with our brokenness at the cross. When we have a, a disagreement over an area of theology, I mean, blimey, I've had a few of them with a few of you. Uh, <laughs> you know, probably, probably the person I've had most tough theological conversations with, and the person who I believe I've had the most healthy theological conversations with, is over here. Uh, thanks, Crystal. Um, You know, but that's a good thing to do, right? It's a good thing to talk about our beliefs, to grapple with scripture together where we disagree on it. But when we do that, you know, which we absolutely can and should do, God didn't give us the truths of this book to be ignored. He gave them to us to be grasped for our good. But when we do that, when we disagree, we should approach those things with such humility or we're denying the truths that we're talking about with our actions. The truth at the root of all of the truths that we celebrate as Christians must be the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of his cross. (coughs) The truth is we were nothing. We were far, we were distant, we were dead and he saved us. Paul calls us here, he calls us Things that were not, or things that are not. Now, you can't, you can't state someone's significance lower than that. S- such was our significance, right? Even though we were nothing, the king of the universe died in weakness on the cross for me, for you. And just when we think that Paul's kind of corrected us enough, just because when we're ready to go, mercy, <laughs> I'm done you know, to, and, and I'm, I'm just going to shut up for good, Paul, because, you know, you've, you've, you've corrected my speech and the way I treat other people too far. He turns it around and he applies that gospel principle again to tell us to speak and to boast. The word of the cross is the power of God. So, he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God strips away our pride so that we might boast in the Lord he shows us how small we are reminds us of how little we bring to the table when we come to him so that we might be rightfully filled with the joy of our Savior and spend our lives talking about him talking about how great he is talking about what he has done in me and in the end of this slab that we're, we're in today He's calling us to boast in the Lord and Paul then tells us there is a wisdom worth having. You know, he said, he said, you know, he's he's kind of rebuked their a take on wisdom, this this Greco-Roman let's, you know, or or modern Australian, let's use knowledge and wisdom as a theme to give us power and position. Uh, he's he's rebuked that, but then he then he brings us true wisdom. The message of the gospel, in all of its weakness and all of its humility, is the most powerful message that there is, and it is wisdom for every area of your life, and every area of this church, and every issue facing the entire world, it is wisdom for. The truth about Jesus is wisdom beyond all that the world has, and Paul says it is entirely other than the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world is wisdom that, that I came up with. Not me personally, not much of it. Just some really rubbish stuff. But, um, but you know, that, that, that a person can take credit for. That will build up my standing in this world, right? The wisdom of God expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ is given by the Spirit of God, he says. It's a gift of God. To those who have believed and so it represents the depths of god's infinite godness the, the wisdom at the depths of god and paul says who knows the mind of one but the spirit is w- that is within and we have the spirit of god why do we why do we seek wisdom outside of the good news of jesus christ when it is the wisdom of god brought from the depths of god by the spirit of god can't take credit for it. It's not ours. It's his. He gives it to us. But it will lead us to walk in his ways in this world. And to be ready for the world to come. Church, do we realise this? Uh, Yeah, okay. Alright, you might realise this at 11.15 on a Sunday morning. But like, do we realise this on Tuesdays? and Fridays, and all the other days, I'm not going to name them all. So often, we've reduced Christian belief back to a checklist. Which either you you have it, or you don't have it. Uh, But the truth about Jesus, it's it's not wrong to get sorted out what you believe, by the way, but the truth about Jesus isn't just a point for argument, or a point for checking it off agreement, it is the power, it is the wisdom of God for your transformation. And for the transformation of the world, of the cosmos, of everything. And whenever you are exposed to a brother or a sister in the church, you're faced with a two-way choice at every intersection that you face there. Every time time we interact with each other, every time we face one another's sin, every time we face one another's joys, we have a two-way choice. Either you can go with the wisdom of the world, and that is providing them with advice or with rebuke or with encouragement uh, to go on uh, that that, that is not centred on Christ and that doesn't flow out of the good news of the cross or you can humbly offer the wisdom of God into their situations, speak gospel truth into their life, bring the truth of the love and the justice and the humility and the glory of the cross to bear on their life situations. And so be a part of what God is doing, part of what the Spirit is doing in transforming His people. I want to I close today with a couple of challenges uh, and an invitation. You know, maybe you've been holding on to a secondary area of theology a little bit too tightly because it, it, it gives you a sense of rightness and power. maybe you've been considering it a good thing to break the church up over maybe not consciously i don't think any of us go you know what i'm going to break up the church over this but either way brother sister it's not a bad thing to have convictions It's it's a it's a good thing but but secondary issues are secondary because they are not the good news of the cross of jesus christ and so they are not what unites us. I, I'm, be, I'm beginning to lose count of the number of times in my life that, uh, that I've had an interaction with a believer, um, you know, that I've known a believer who holds to a secondary issue you know, differently to me, but so strongly that they would willingly bring down the body of Christ, bring down the name of Christ by attacking his church over it. Does that feel familiar? I, I feel like that's familiar. They believe so strongly on their take, in their take on creation. So strongly on, on the end times. So strongly on baptism or whatever, you know, that they they would reject a fellow believer in Christ over it. Church, let me encourage you, form convictions from scripture. Do it. Do it. It's a good thing to do. It's a necessary thing to do. It is good. It is a godly thing to do. All scripture is God-breathed. You ignore it to your own peril. But especially those things which are in addition to the good news of the cross, hold them with humility and with grace. Listen to each other on them. Be ready to have those conversations on them. Hear each other. Be ready to be wrong every now and then. I've run into that one a few times in my Christian walk of being wrong. And most of you are older than me. Have you? <laughs> We're wrong. We're not Jesus. I'm not Je- you're not Jesus. You're not meant to be right all the time. You will be right all the time one day when you get to be with Jesus forever. It's not yet. Second challenge. Don't be content to be unified without the gospel. I mean strive for unity. strive for unity in the gospel. It's a common theme in the church has been the idea that we' are unified because we are the church. you know that unity is just this thing that we're meant to do as a church, right like like we, we unify, right we're, we're Christians. Um, the truth about Jesus is what unites us as a people. That's why we draw our lines on church membership here at Gospel Church, where we do. Um, That's why what uh, divides between a Christian and a not yet Christian. That's how we're trying to, what question we're trying to answer is, when you become a member here, you go, "Are are you a genuine believer who's committed to the life of this church? If the answer to that question is yes, then all other things are secondary. We'll talk about secondary things. We'll point out to you some distinctives that we have as a church, but in the end, you don't have to hold them. If you're a genuine believer in Jesus, who's committed to the life of this church. It's not whether you're whether you're baptized. It's not whether you attend um, church that makes you a believer, that makes you a part of the body of Christ. Those are great things. Those are important things. Those are essential things. Essential implications of the main thing. You know, if you, if you trust in Jesus, you should absolutely be a part of a church. Come talk to me about that. I mean, you guys are here, so let's let's move on with that. But they're not what unites us. They're not our unity. But let's be real here. Seeking unity in the gospel doesn't just mean not being a part of a... Sorry. It doesn't just mean that you come along to church on a Sunday morning um, and, and, and you don't go to a church that seeks unity at all costs. If that's, I- that's our definition of unity in the church. Well, we may as well give up now. Uh, <laughs> being committed to unity in the gospel means being ready to bear the good news of the gospel into one another's lives. We have been handed the power and the wisdom of God and the good news of the cross. Do we carry it into each other's lives? When when, when you struggle with a brother or sister who's, who's so obviously from your perspective failing at something, is our response, you should do that better. Is our response, I'm fed up with you. (laughs) Is our response, you know, here's some tips for how you could do that better. Is our response, the gospel of Jesus Christ and his humility and his grace and his love calls you in deeper, brother or sister. Calls you into something better than how you're walking now. When we encounter a brother or sister who's, who's facing loss, facing struggle in their life, is our response to that, chin up. is our response to that to remind them of what's theirs in Christ? There's so many ways we can apply this. I'm not going to do them all today. I want to give a final note. It's a note of invitation. Maybe, Maybe you hear me saying this. We'll never ever assume as a church that there isn't someone here in this category. Maybe you hear me saying that the good news about Jesus is the wisdom of God that unites his people, the church, and it's dawning on you Hang on, doesn't that put me on the outside? I don't know if I've trusted in that power. I don't know if I've trusted in that wisdom. You know, maybe maybe your experience of church has been arguing over secondary things for your entire life and you've never really grasped the central. realizing i haven't held to that truth i haven't believed the truth of the crucified saviour if that's you i have glorious news the truth of the crucified saviour can be something you grasp as you hear these words the truth of the crucified saviour could be something that you trust in today it could be your salvation for the remainder of your days it could be the wisdom and the power of god that brings you joy and transformation in your life It could be what sustains you for every trouble to come it could be what delivers you into the hands of your savior one day as he holds out his arms in love and receives you into his kingdom and all you need to do is believe would you pray with me jesus we confess that we are a people who have been proud that we haven't always handled the truth of your gospel with the humility and the grace that it demands. That if there's a brother or sister here who's been convicted about their behaviour and their division or one one who is even listening online, I pray that you would just, you wouldn't let them be crushed by that. But that as their pride is stripped away, they would find good reason to boast in you. Lord, make us a people unified by the joyful news of our Saviour, of the madness of the cross. Make us a people who who love to see the gospel speak into our hearts change who we are who aren't content with where we are but want to be where you want us to be make us a people who are so joyful so willing to speak gospel into each other's lives make us a people who are so willing to receive it make us a people who love your good news so much that even though the world may see it as folly. We can't help but bring it into conversations. We can't help but offer it as the answer because although they may see it as crazy, we see it as the power of God, the wisdom of God, and there is no wisdom beside it once we've encountered it. Lord, lead us as a people of faith in Jesus, unified by the good news of the cross. And Lord, anyone who's hearing this who hasn't believed in the good news of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that they would just be able to simply come to you. That you would overcome like you do overcome in the heart of a sinner, and that you would lead them to just acknowledge, Lord, I'm not enough. Lord, I've failed. Lord, I'm distant from you. Lord, I haven't believed and I've sinned and I repent, and Lord, be my Lord, I trust in you. I trust in the cross. I trust that you saved me in weakness. today. We pray it in the name of, of Jesus Christ our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. I believe the team's gonna come back up